chapter 6, so if you'll turn there, 1 Timothy chapter 6, it is really good to see you this morning, glad you're here, and uh, praise God for the church. 1 Timothy chapter 6, we're going to begin with uh, verse 10, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, You say, Brother Craig, you preaching on money this morning? No, no, uh, this happens to be, uh, we're looking at the context here. Verse 10, let's stand together as we read God's great truth. It's the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, he's talking to Timothy, O thou, uh, but thou, O man of God, ma uh, woman of God, child of God, these things, uh, he says, to flee these things and to follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. And we're going to look at those this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for your direction from Scripture. We thank you for your comforting word and that you have given us clear instruction to follow righteousness, to follow after Jesus Christ, his righteousness, to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And Lord, would you help us as we do that? God, as we, as, we, uh, as we pray and as we labor in your word like you want us to, God, help us to be more like Jesus today. Would you bless our time together in a very, very, very special way today? In Jesus' name, for the glory of God, amen. Now, I've entitled this, this is, uh, this is week number, I believe this is week number eight that we have been, it's either eight or nine that we've been in uh, 1 Timothy. It takes a while to go through 1 Timothy. Now, 1 Timothy is fun to preach through, but uh, there are some Deep, deep nuggets of gold in 1 Timothy. But I have, I've entitled this message, What Are You Chasing? What are you chasing? And so uh, uh, Paul, remember, had left Timothy in Ephesus, at the church in Ephesus, and Timothy was in the trenches. Timothy was, uh, was in a hard, difficult place, uh, Ephesus was a, a uh, heathen land filled with idolatry, filled with false gods, filled with false doctrine, and uh, that's, where, that's where Paul had left Timothy. Paul was in the trenches up north, and he was setting the gospel, and uh, here he, he sends this letter back to Timothy, and this is one of the letters, one of the epistles that we have come to call a pastoral epistle, a pastoral letter. This is one of three. And so the church at Ephesus was affected by all this false doctrine that was trying to get in. It was just itching to get in, and I, I give to you this morning that false doctrine, false teaching, uh, is trying to get in to all churches. Uh, all, I, I guarantee you it's knocking at the door of every church, trying to just get in uh, because Satan knows if he can just get in and teach some false doctrine, he can lead people astray, and or there's a good chance he can lead people astray. 
So in this letter, Paul directs Timothy. He encourages him, first of all, uh, but he directs him how to deal with this false doctrine. And he tells him, look, you've got to shut this stuff down. These people can't be teaching uh, that false doctrine. Now, uh, remember, doctrine is what we believe to be true about God, about uh, uh, salvation, about sin, about uh, uh, creation, all those things, and, and numerous other things about the Holy Spirit. What do we believe to be true about the Holy Spirit? What do we believe to be true about Satan? Uh, there's, there's all these ologies, and we call those doctrines, is what we believe to be true. And so, as a matter of fact, there's even a, a doctrine called bibliology. What do we believe to be true about the Bible? And so there are all these things. And so uh, the truth, we've got to have the truth. That's what we need. That's what our needs. Last week, we talked about how essential it is to develop the habit of listening to properly evaluating rebuke. Remember that? Listening to and properly evaluating rebuke. Now, I want to ask you, did anyone get rebuked this past week? Anybody? How did you respond to it when, uh, when you got rebuked, maybe this even this past week? You know, a lot of people, common, the common response of a worldly person is to stiff arm that rebuke. Uh, you know, I don't want to accept it. It hurts my feelings. It's that kind of stuff. But you know, the Bible says that instruction, and we looked at some verses like that, instruction is the way of life. And God molds us, and sometimes he uses some people. He uses uh, godly counsel to help mold us, help sharpen us, uh, Iron sharpens iron. Now, there may be somebody that comes at you, and I'm not talking about this kind of rebuke. There may be somebody comes at you and wants to belittle you. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, so we have to evaluate this rebuke that's coming and see, now, is this, does this line up with Scripture, what this person's saying? Okay, have I, have I done something I shouldn't? Have I, have I maybe misspoken or something? When somebody comes and says, you know, I think you were wrong in what you said, then, you know, we have to evaluate those things. So, uh, now, we also talked about, Planning your prayer time. Planning my prayer time. Now, think with me just a minute. Over the uh, last 168 hours, that's seven days, how much of those hours, how much of that time did you spend in prayer? See, this one stepped on my toes as I was going through this, okay? Because, um, you know, the, the passage that we looked at was was. 1 Timothy 5.5, 5, when it deals with the widows. Remember that? And those widows were praying. They were praying. And they're praying continuously. And so, uh, uh, you know, 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14, you know, you know that. If my people, which are called by my name, shall, what's, what's it say? Shall do what? Humble themselves and pray. Humble themselves and pray. Uh, so that, that's going to be a, a very important thing, and we'll come back to that here in just a moment. And then we looked at the uh, laboring in God's Word. That was the third thing we looked at last week, laboring in God's Word. And that's taken from uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5, and I believe it's down about verse 17, where he talks about an elder. Remember, an elder, is, is, uh, that's a pastor, it's a bishop, Elder, that's all wrapped in one. Those words describe the same person, different functions of that same person. And we talked about uh, in, in verse 17, you can turn there and look at it. It says 
that he is worthy. Those, those elders that labor in the word, that's a reference to that one lead elder, that one lead pastor, and possibly some others that are, that are paid. It says that that person is worthy of, what does it say? A double honor. That's not me saying that. That's the God says he's worthy of a double honor. And I told you about the church in Kansas, and that's where Pastor Wayne Johnson was from as well. And uh, I served as one of the elders up there. And we, we struggled on that verse. What does that mean? We, we searched it out. And so uh, I think I told you we took the average of what we thought was the average wage of, of uh, the congregation, and we doubled it for his salary. And uh, we said, Lord, this is what we believe this says. Now, I don't know if we were right or wrong on that, but we were trying to interpret the Scripture word for word. You know, how do we pay this guy? What do we pay him? The thing is, the thing we need to note on that verse is that God places value, a high value on someone. He places a high value on you and I. It us to labor in God's Word. That's what He wants for us. It is, it is of, of high value when God sees you and I laboring in his word, studying his word, uh, uh, day in, day out, studying it. That is of high value to our Lord. And so uh, one of the very special themes, as I've looked through 1 Timothy, one of the very special themes is being Christ-like, uh, being godly, being Christ-like. In a, in a world or in an environment when uh, many, many, many are not. Many, maybe even most, are not even, uh, not even trying to be Christ-like. But being Christ-like in that kind of environment, that's where Timothy was. And that is a major theme uh, as we look at Timothy. Now, I want you to think for just a moment. Go back to uh, prayer. You know, we talked about prayer last week. And I want to tell you, uh, the prayer, prayer is a must if we're going to accomplish the direction from Scripture that we're going to talk about today, I'm telling you, prayer is a must. And it is a huge thing. It's a huge theme also in, uh, in the book of, uh, in the letter of 1 Timothy. Now this morning, we're going to look at how to follow, how to follow, how to follow Jesus Christ even more closely by following after, that's what uh, verse uh, verse. 11 says, follow after. You can see it there. Follow after. We're going to talk about following Jesus Christ by following after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. Now, let's look at the first one, righteousness. Now, remember, let's go back over to 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12. Let's turn back a page, maybe two pages. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Look what it says. Let no man despise thy youth. He's talking to Timothy. Now, Timothy is not, he's not a teenager or anything. He's been on a mission field with Paul for something, some 15 years. Now, when he started with Paul, he was a young man. He was, he was, he was young, maybe even a teenager. Now, he's, he's some 15 years later. He says, let no man despise thy youth. There were some older people in the church, I'm sure, at Ephesus that were disrespecting him. That's what uh, theologians, uh, scholars think was going on. And so we can see from uh, some of the, the instruction that Paul gives, that's likely what's happening. And so he says, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example. Now look at this. Be thou an example of the believers. 
be thou an example of the believers. Then he gives several things in word, in what we say, in conversation. That means in our, uh, in our conduct, in charity, that's love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. So he says, be a, so you can see the contair. And so he says, be thou an example of the believers in verse 12. Now I'm over in chapter 4, verse 12. And where he's talking about believers, it is a saving faith. It's that kind of belief, a saving faith. Uh, it's someone that believes in Jesus Christ. They believe what the Bible says about Jesus. And they believe it so strong that they have asked Jesus to be their Savior. See, it's a saving faith where he says, be thou an example of the believers. Be thou an example of someone that, that has received Jesus as their Savior. And he says, be thou that kind of an example in all these different areas. That is the context. As a matter of fact, remember us going through the qualifications of church leadership? It talked about all these different qualifications that these guys must have. They must be blameless. So you can see... Being Christ-like, being an example of the believers is a key theme all the way through. And uh, here we are all the way back over. Now let's go back over to chapter 6. He says in verse 11, follow after righteousness. Follow after uh, godliness and all these things. See, it's, you can see the context. As a matter of fact, I think it's interesting that it's in kind of smushed in, and we didn't talk about this verse, but there's a verse over there in chapter 5 that we didn't, we didn't deal with, but let's look at it because it's in that context, and then we'll, we'll, uh, this is not a part of the sermon, but uh, just to show you that context when you're studying Scripture is everything. It's everything. Look back over at uh, chapter 5 and verse 23. We didn't deal with this verse. We stopped short of, of coming down to this verse. He says, he t- and this is one of the most, most uh, discussed, it's one of the most discussed verses. Uh, one of the most uh, uh, that theologians might have varying views on. But you have to look at the context, okay, of being godly, following after righteousness. Look at verse 23 of chapter 5. He says, tells Timothy, drink no lot of wa- longer water. I think Timothy had some kind of medical issue. He says, drink no longer water, but a little wine for the stomach's sake. And thine, and, and thine often infirmities. Timothy had some medical issues. Okay, so he tells him, Paul tells him, drink no water, that water's, that water's hurting you. You need to drink some, uh, he says, a little, notice that, wine. Now, when you're studying uh, in, the, in the Bible, when you're studying wine, it is important to look at context. And uh, a lot of times people will use, they will say, okay, well, Jesus turned water into wine. We've talked about that in here and uh, but you know he turned it into the very best and the governor at that feast that day that was the first miracle and the governor at that feast said wow most guys uh they serve the best first but you've made the best it's talking about unfermented there is no fermentation in it no alcohol content if you would and uh the thing to keep in mind is that our lord is never going to cause someone to sin. We have to remember that. And, and you look at the context of 1 Timothy, he's talking about being godly. Our Lord is never going to uh, cause someone to lose control. So that, uh, I mean, the Bible teaches self-control. You remember that inebriation process starts right here, and it starts really, really quick after you've had just a little bit of uh, um, alcohol. And so 
but the idea here is whether or not this is, has some uh, fermentation, some alcoholic content, I'm not sure. Okay, If it does, it has very little, and uh, it might be a, a similarity to us drinking cough syrup. You know cough syrup has some in it. Okay, uh, cough syrup does. It might be something like that. Timothy was ill. So the idea here is, Timothy, uh, drink some wine, a little wine. He says a little. Okay, and that leads me to believe maybe it could have some alcoholic content or some fermentation to it. Uh, I don't know. I know this. Our Lord is never going to cause him to sin. And I believe the direction from Scripture is don't have anything to do with it. Don't have any. Can I go out and, and, and drink some cough syrup? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, is medication, it might have some kind of some uh, whatever in it. Yes, we're, we're okay there. But uh, the guide from Scripture is we've got to be godly. We've got to seek to... Uh, to follow our Lord Jesus he is never going to cause someone to sin or never lead some in a, someone in a, uh, into a situation where they're going to, be, they're going to lose control and, uh, and possibly sin. He died because of the sin. So he's, he's serious about sin. He's not going to play around with it. So now back over in chapter 6, that, was a, that one verse right there was one we didn't deal with. But uh, you remember, I think I told you... Uh, a friend of mine, he's the basketball coach at OBU, Bob Hoffman. I just talked to Bob recently, and uh, Bob's a godly man, and, and uh, I had him at, at when I was working at uh, the school in, at uh, Shawnee. I had him there come over and speak to the kids. He's big, tall, 6'9", so when he walks in, he's captivating, and I'll never forget him saying, look, I'm going to tell you, alcohol has never crossed these lips never i praise god for that that kind of testimony when you can say that um look what it says in chapter chapter 6 verse 11 follow after righteousness now righteousness i looked it up in the broad in a broad sense i looked it up in the greek and it it is the state of him who is as he ought to be righteous he is as he ought to be it's talking about the condition that is acceptable to god it's talking about a person's integrity his virtue his purity and it it has in there when you look it up in the greek it's talking about righteous in every area talking about it it emphasizes the way a person thinks the way a person thinks now let me tell you what was going on as a matter of fact let's look back at verse one here of chapter six and uh, this, this will make sense to you. He, he says in verse 1, see, it's important to read the context. He says, let as many servants, so we're talking about a servant-master relationship. It would be equivalent to maybe us having an employee-employer relationship. It says, let, not, uh, or, uh, let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor. So you see that? Uh, let, let an employee uh, that has an employer talk well of his employer let's go, let's go on it says uh, because excuse me let's uh, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed look at verse two and they that have believing masters let them not be despised because in other words don't be one of those people as an employee that goes around backstabbing your employer it says because they are brethren 
but rather do the service because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort, teach and encourage. Paul says, teach these things. And look at verse 3. If any man teach otherwise, if anybody teaches otherwise, you know, maybe you have someone, uh, you ever been around an employee that, uh, that is running the employer down? You ever been around that? And, uh, you know, and it begins to spread. And say, look what, it, look what it says in verse 3. If any man teach otherwise than what he's just said, he said, and, cons- uh, and consent not to the wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, it says in verse 4, it says, that man is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, look at verse 5, perverse disputings of men, of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. And he says from such, from people like that, he says, withdraw yourself. Kind of get away from those people. Because what happens is, is it'll inf- it's infectious. It'll get you. And uh, it, it, so the idea here is that the, these people, uh, there were likely people there that were running their masters down. It'd be like somebody running an employer down. And what they were actually doing from these words that Paul has just described is they were trying to elevate themselves. And they, because they were, uh, they were envious, you can see the word envy there mentioned in verse 4. They were envious. They were covetous. Uh, and so, and somehow in their minds, they were trying to, they were trying to elevate themselves and, and through some kind of gain, whether it was a gain of money, and that seems to be the context here, the gain of something, they were, they were trying to better themselves by bringing someone else down, and that's what it means. Look what it says in verse 5, perverse disputings of men, this is what they were doing, of crimes and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. They they suppose that. He says from such all. Verse 6 says, this is a a verse that we oftentimes quote, but godliness with contentment is great gain. He goes on, he says, for we brought nothing into this world and it is certain that we will carry nothing out and having food and raiment, having food and clothing in verse 8, let us therewith be content. So Paul is stating here, that the reason that these there's people that are they're 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 cutting their employer down, they're uh, backbiting their employer. Here it's master. Uh, they're they're doing this because there's a covetous heart in them. They're not content. And so uh, look what he says in verse nine. But they that will be rich. Now he's not talking about somebody that has just. Made a lot, a lot of money through, uh, uh, through following biblical principles. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying those that are chasing the dollar fall into temptation and a snare and, to, and into many foolish and lustful hurts which drowned men in destruction and perdition. And so that's where we find ourselves. He says, for the love of money, for the love of money is the root of, of all evil. 
You see what he says? He says, you've got to flee these things. You've got to, you've got to get away from those things. The love of money is the root of all evil. Now, you know what a root is. You know what a root is. And so a root is a root. And so whatever you're growing springs forth out of the root. Do you see that? When you're growing something, you, you plant something, whatever you're growing springs forth out of that root. And so uh, in this context, it says the love of money. Okay? It says evil. As a matter of fact, it uses the term all evil. All evil springs forth out of the root, which is called the love of money. He says the love of money is the root, and out of that comes all evil. He says, which while some coveted after, verse 10, they've erred. They've had this covetous heart. They've coveted after that. that they, they have this love for money, love for things, and they've erred and uh, erred from the faith, pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And that's where we find ourselves. That, that type of situation is where we find ourselves. In verse 11, he says, But thou, O man of God, flee these things. Flee these things. And that word flee means to shun. It means to avoid. It, it means to, to get away from it. It's abhorrent to us. We need to get away from it. And so I want you to look closely. Look back there at verse 10. It says, some have coveted after. Some have coveted. You know, coveting after something. I mean, you, it's in your heart, and you want it. You, you see someone that's got it, and you want that. And see, that's what's going on here in these first few verses. Coveting and worry, those go hand in hand. I'm worrying, I don't have this, I want it. Let's see, those go hand in hand, and those can be terrible, terrible strongholds in a person's life. Now, there may be a worrier in this bunch in here. That's not uncommon. But I'm telling you, worrying can be a stronghold in a person's life. Coveting can be a stronghold in a person's life. I want to give you some, some scripture here. Matthew 6, 25 through 34. We won't turn there, but you can write this down. Matthew 6, 25 through 34. I looked at these verses as I was preparing for this. In those verses, that's the Sermon on the Mount. In those verses, Matthew 6, 20, 25 through 34, there are three times Jesus says these words. He says, do not Worry. Do not worry. Then he says again, do not worry. He uses this phraseology in the King James. No thought for. He says, take no thought for tomorrow. Take no thought for this, what you're going to wear, what you're going to put on. So do not worry. Worry, covetousness, those things can be powerful, terrible strongholds in our lives. And so let's look at what he says here. But thou, O man of God, in verse 11, flee these things. You've got to flee that. You've got to flee that covetous mind. You've got to flee that, uh, having that mindset of, okay, I, I'm going to uh, talk bad about this person or that person or that employer. Uh, he says you've got to flee that stuff. You've got to flee that. And look what he says. 
follow after righteousness. Follow after, that has the idea of to pursue. And when I first read that, I thought, well, just follow after it. Just, you know, gently follow after. That's not the idea here is following after, pursuing, seeking it. In the Greek, it means to seek after eagerly. Go after it. Go after righteousness. It, it means this as well. Earnestly endeavor it. Earnestly endeavor to acquire it. Talking about righteousness. So we're not talking here about an occasional following, but a continual following, hard following after righteousness, and a continual shunning of unrighteousness. The standard, and once again, the word righteousness is a reference to being right in the way we're thinking, thinking like Christ. He says, pursue that. Pursue that. As a matter of fact, Jesus says this. On that Sermon on the Mount, in that portion of Scripture I just gave you a minute ago over in Matthew, he says, seek ye first. Same word, follow after. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his what? His righteousness. Same word that's used right here. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. His righteousness. See, we've got to be in prayer to know His righteousness. Now, look what He says. We'll go through these others rather quickly. He says, follow, I'm back over in verse 11, follow after righteousness. Follow after godliness. Now, godliness, I looked it up. Godliness is reverence. It's respect of God. And it is piety towards God. Now, we've talked about that godliness here a little bit. Timothy, or Paul uses that term, uh, godliness, in 1 Timothy numerous times. And you can see it up there in verse 5 of chapter 6. You can see it again in verse 6 of chapter 6. And uh, so here in verse 11, he says, follow after godliness. And uh, when you look it up in the Greek... It means piety towards God. Now, what is piety? Piety is this, a strong belief in God that shows up in the way a person lives. That's a great definition of godliness. Godliness is piety. It's a strong devotion, a strong belief in God that shows up in the way someone lives. So now, Verse, uh, verses 1 through 6, those, uh, verse 4 talks about a person proud, a person being uh, having strife and envy, perverse disputings. See, that would be the opposite of godliness. It's a devotion to God that shows up, whether I'm at work, whether I'm at, at school, no matter where I am, it shows up, no matter where you are. It is supposed to show up. Okay, so we're to follow hard. Let's look, let's look again at verse 11. He says, But thou, O man of God, thou, O woman of God, thou child of God, flee those things, those things which were above. Covetousness, worry, perverseness, that's mentioned in verse 5, and follow after righteousness. It's the righteousness of God. His righteousness, godliness, 
That's a devotion to God that shows up in how we live. Faith. Now, faith is uh, fidelity. In the Greek, it is faithfulness. It's the character of one who can be relied on. And he says, pursue it. Pursue it. Seek it eagerly. And so, you know that that's going to require prayer. That's going to require us to labor in God's Word. Now, we're talking here about someone that can be relied upon. When it says seek, follow after faith, it's faithfulness. It's someone that can be rely, that God can rely on. Someone that is faithful to Him. There's temptation all around us. It was all around in Ephesus. So we're talking here about being totally loyal to God. Totally loyal to God, even in the heat of the battle of temptation. Even when the pressure is on. Even when we're tired. Totally loyal to God and His ways. Even when we're lonely. Totally loyal to God and His ways. Even when we're alone, totally loyal to God and His ways. That's what faith is in this context. He says, follow after it. Seek it eagerly. And look what he says next. Follow after love. That's brotherly love. That's the idea here. It's biblical love. It's, uh, it's a unilateral Love. It's not a love that, well, I love you because you can do this for me. Or I love you because I get this from you. It's a love that says, I love you. I love you. Regardless, I love you. Uh, you may hurt my feelings, but I love you. I love you. You may have to correct me, but I love you. See, it's, it's a brotherly love. Jesus says this, they will know us by our love one for another. That's how, that's how the unbelievers know us because we love, we love one another. He says follow after that. Follow after it. So let's, let's go in. Follow after righteousness. We're talking about the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Follow after him. And his righteousness, that's what Matthew 6, 33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Follow after godliness. That's a devotion to him. That's a devotion. I'm so devoted to him, a person that's so devoted to him, that it shows up in everything we do, everything we say. It shows up in how we act. It shows up in our responses to others. It's in, uh, because of the places we go or the things we don't allow into our lives because we want to please him. That's what godliness is in this context. And he says, follow after faith. That's a total devotion and loyalty to him. We're going to be faithful to him when the pressure is on, when it is hot, no matter what's going on. And then, of course, follow after him in love. That's a love. We love 
him. We love others. Regardless of what somebody looks like, smells like, acts like, we love them. No matter what they say to us, we love them. That's the, that's the idea in this passage. The next thing he says is follow after patience. Oh, this is a big one. This is a big one. Patience. I looked it up in the Greek. It's the characteristic of a man or a woman who is not swerved from his, his or her deliberate purpose and his or her deliberate loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trials and sufferings. Let me read that again. That's, that's the Greek definition of this word patience. And he says, follow hard after patience. Follow hard after all these things. It's the characteristics of a man, of a it's the characteristic of a man or woman who is not swerved. They don't, they don't veer off from his or her deliberate purpose and his or her loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trials and sufferings. It is steadfastness. That's the, that's the patience we're talking about. It is perseverance. See, we're talking about situations here. Okay, now we've talked about this, that there are two types of patience mentioned in the Bible. There's one where we're patient with people. And you could, you could maybe say that here as well because there can be much difficulty with people sometimes. But in this context, the word patience is dealing with situations where you, you see the, in the Bible where he's the word long-suffering. You might see that in the King James. That is most usually a reference to being patient with people, long-suffering. It'll say it in, the, in many of the translations. It'll say over in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love is long-suffering. Love is patient. Love is patient with people. But here in this context, it's dealing with situations, patience in hardships, patience in trials, now, maybe, maybe people that are causing those trials. So we're talking about situations. What does James say? That should have been a, maybe a, a passage that you thought of right off. Remember the oldest book? That's the very first one that we went, we went through uh, being together. James chapter 1. Let's turn and look at it. James chapter 1. He says, my brethren, in verse 2, James 1, this is the brother of Jesus Christ. He says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. That means various trials, these difficulties, count it all joy. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, lacking nothing. You see that? So, let patience, James says, let patience have her perfect work. So the clear direction from God is when it gets hot and when the pressure is on in your life, and there may be somebody going through a difficulty right now. You're going through a hardship, and maybe you want to cut and run. Maybe you want, it's, it's so hot, and the pressure is on, and you, it's, it's, it's tough. But the direction from Scripture is, unless you know that you know that you know, 
that God is leading you a different direction, the direction from Scripture is stay in there. You've got to stay tough. You've got to hang tough. It's patience. You've got to hang in there. That's the direction from Scripture. Now, sometimes God will direct you somewhere else. But most often, it's through the storm, it's through the fire, it's through the, the, the difficulty. We see that over and over and over again in Scripture, whether it's Abraham or whether it's Moses or whether it's Jesus Christ. When it gets hot and it gets tough, the direction is be patient. You're going to have all these voices. You've got to hear the voice of God. You've got to hear the voice of God when you're in the middle of that. So he says, follow after patience. Now, does that mean, okay, if God's never going to drag me off of this hard situation? No, that's not what that means. You've got to listen to God, and you've got to be in prayer. That's why I'm, I'm, I said this from the onset, is for us to follow these directions. Oh, it sounds easy until everybody else is being unrighteous, and here you're the only one that's trying to be righteous. Or everybody else is being ungodly, and you're the only one that's being godly. Everybody else is demonstrating hate. You're the one that has to demonstrate love. You've got to follow this. Everybody else is demonstrating disloyalty. And the direction from Scripture is loyalty, faithfulness to God. And everybody else is demonstrating we're going to cut and run. And you know the direction from Scripture is patience until I know from God, until I hear from Him. I've got to stay the course. I've got to stay the course. That's the direction, and we've got to be in prayer to follow these. The last one, he says, follow, follow after this. He says, flee those other things all that covetousness and all that worry and all that perverseness that he talked about in verse 5, you've got to flee that. And he said, Craig, you've got to flee that stuff. So he's talking to all of us. He's, he, this is written to Timothy, but eventually to us. It's the word of God. He says, you've got you to follow, look at the last one, meekness. Follow meekness. I looked up the word meekness in the Greek as well. That's the original language of the New Testament. I looked up the word meekness. It means gentleness. Gentleness. I thought that was interesting. Oftentimes you'll hear people, you'll hear pa pastors describe meekness as strength under control. And I would say that's true. I would say that's true. But in the Greek here, it means gentleness. But it implies, and it even says it in the Greek, it implies humility. I thought that was very interesting. The implication here is someone that is meek, it's not this. It's not someone walking around like this. It is someone that is gentle, by implication, they're humble. They are in line behind God. That's the, remember uh, 2 Chronicles 7.14 says this, if my people, and we talked about this a while ago, if my people, which your name, shall do what? Humble themselves. That's the very first thing. See, so this meekness is someone that has humbled themselves. They've gotten that under control. Uh, and they've gotten, they put God first, Instead of what flesh wants to do, that's the idea here, is someone that is humble. And that's what Second Chronicles 7.14 says, if my people, which are called by my name, that's you and I. I know that's written to the Jews, but you and I are God's people. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, I would say we've been pretty wicked as a nation, as a world. We've been pretty wicked. He says, then will I hear from heaven. We'll hear their prayers and heal their land. He's serious about that. Look at verse 12. I want to show you this. We're almost done. Verse 12. Oh, verse 12 is powerful. I get so excited about verse 12. Look what it says. You see those words in there? Lay hold on eternal life. You see that? 
lay hold on eternal life. That's what that's the direction he gives for Timothy. And I would say that's the direction for you and I. He says, lay hold on eternal life. Now, let me get this straight. The only way for salvation is through Jesus Christ. That's it. That is it. We're circling the wagons. That's the only hope is through Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that there is no other name given by which men must be saved. It's only through Jesus Christ. Now, I feel like I'm talking to the choir right here. I feel like I'm talking to a, a house full of 100% saved people. That's what it feels like. But I don't know your heart really. God knows your heart. And you know it. And so let me ask you this. Where will you be 200 years from now? Where will you be 200 years from now? You'll be somewhere. Oh, I hope I'm talking to all saved people that are going to spend an eternity with Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, it says here in, in verse 12, he says, lay hold on eternal life. If you're an unsaved person, you've never received Jesus as your saved Please don't leave here. I will say, you've heard me say this before, I'll stay here, I'll stay here all night. If that's what it takes. You need to be saved. And you need to be saved right now. That's important. That's, that's the first step in laying hold on eternal life. Christians, lay hold on eternal life. See, he's writing this to Timothy, and he tells Timothy, a saved man, he says, lay hold on eternal life. The idea there is embrace it. Look forward to it. You've got to quit looking back and looking at all this stuff and getting worn out in all this worldly stuff. You've got to follow after righteousness and godliness and all those things, love and faith. And uh, patience and meekness. See, when you get to, I had, to, I had to look down and see what those others were, because when you get to be kind of, uh, your memory may be fading. We got to follow after those things. See, we got to follow after eternal life. Embrace it. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage every person in here to embrace. As a matter of fact, if you were to look down at verse 19, he's going to say it again. He's going to say. We're going to look at that in those final passages next week. I can't wait for that. He says, embrace eternal life. You got, I'm telling you, the Apostle Paul was embracing it. He was embracing that. Where are you going to be 200 years from now? Oh, I hope I'm talking to a whole group of people that are going to be spending an eternity with Jesus Christ. The decisions we make right now are going to determine that. Now, that's something. And we'll close with this. Let's talk about the coronavirus. The coronavirus, that's a big deal. And do we need to uh, be cautious? We were cautious this morning, right? We've been cautious. And that is yes, we need to be cautious. You know, you'll hear some that, you'll hear some that say, oh, you know, that, uh, and, 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 and it's all political and all that. And I think there's a little pride in, in someone coming across arrogant like that. You've got to be cautious with that. So do we need to be cautious? Yes. Do we need to fear? Answer to that is absolutely no. Let me give you a, a verse, and this is, uh, let me give you some verses. Uh, Paul 
wrote Timothy and he wrote Titus, three, he wrote three pastoral epistles. In other words, these are letters that are directed to men. Most of those other letters that Paul's going to write, most of the others are going to be directed to churches, to the church at Galatia, to the church at Corinth. But here, these three letters are directed to men. Okay? As a matter of fact, if you were to look at, at, uh, at the first uh, couple of verses, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, you would see that. Let's go over to 2 Timothy. This is the last book, 2 Timothy, maybe just one page over or just across the page from where we've been this morning. 2 Timothy. This is the last, to put this in context, it's the last letter that Paul wrote. He is just about to die, and he knows it. He, said, he, he, he emphasizes that. And he says, I'm just about to be poured out. And that has the idea of being turned upside down and uh, being drained out, letting that blood be drained out. Uh, he's just about, just about there. But look what he says in first, or 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. He says, to Timothy, which had tried to jump ship a time or two. It got a little hot. Paul said, you've got to hang in there, buddy. You've got to be patient. The direction from God is patient. Look at verse 7 of 2 Timothy chapter 1. He says, for God has not given us. That means what it says. He has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of some mind. So Christians, listen, no matter what's going on around us, God's not given us the spirit of fear. So that fear comes on you. That didn't come from God. The Bible says he's not given us that. To worry about it? Absolutely no. The passage we looked at or that I gave you a while ago, Matthew uh, 6, 25 through 34, Jesus says in there, do not worry. He says that three times. Paul in Ephesians 4, 6 says, be careful for nothing. In other words, don't worry about anything. Now, the idea there is use your head. We want to be cautious. We want to be cautious on shaking hands with one another. If you, shake, if you stick your hand out, I'm going to shake your hand. But we want to be cautious. That's why we didn't have the meet and greet, all that this morning. We want to be cautious. Uh, you know, who, I, who I'm concerned about, I'm concerned about everyone, but the elderly, maybe those that have heart conditions, we've got to be, we've got to be watchful on them. We've got to take care of them, watch over them. And so we want to be cautious in this, in this virus that's going around. But this is an opportunity for you as, as Christians to uh, demonstrate to this world. And I, I'm telling you, they're all around us. This, to demonstrate to this world where our faith is. It's in Jesus Christ. Hey, he created this world. He came into this world after he created it because it was infected by something much much bigger than the coronavirus. It was infected by sin. And he came into the world that he had created. He is more powerful than anything. And I don't know what he's doing with, with this coronavirus. I trust him. I will not fear. The Bible says he's not giving us a spirit of fear. We've got to trust him. We've got to be cautious in what, how, we, how we function. But we trust him. And that's the message that, uh, that those in our circles need to hear. They need to hear that, that our hope, our trust, our God is sovereign. He's got it under control, and we're going to trust him. We're going to loan him. Let's stand together. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your clear direction from Scripting. 
meekness. Oh, Lord, thank you for that impatience. Thank you for your direction there. When times get tough, Lord, we trust you being patient. And the love and 